Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, this is Red Rum Blonde, a podcast that examines true crime cases and the mysteries that surround them. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. So before I get into the first case, I want to give you a little background on myself. I live in Pittsburgh, but I'm originally from West Virginia near Wheeling, and I've been interested in true crime for quite a long time. So I think during my youth, I've watched almost every Unsolved Mysteries, Law and Order, and Autopsy. I work at a bookstore where probably on a daily basis, you can catch me very overzealously recommending Ann Rule's Stranger Beside Me about Ted Bundy. At home, my boyfriend once said I was going to OD on the ID channel. So I love podcasts. I listen to a ton of them. My favorite murder, The Dollop, last podcast on the left. Joe Rogan Experience, WTF with Mark Maron, and a ton of true crime podcasts. So I thought, why not start my own and explore this fascination that I and many others have? So there are so many mysteries out there, and the whole taboo about death and murder is so fascinating. I remember something very funny from when I was young. Alfred Hitchcock died, and I was watching the news with my mom. The shower scene came on from Psycho, and she hurriedly covered my eyes so that I couldn't see. I remember wondering what I was missing, and it just made me so intrigued that she should have just let me watch it. My mom was kind of a murderino herself. I remember her being quite obsessed with Jeffrey Dahmer and the Eileen Warnos case. So maybe it's genetic. The first serial killings that I remember making a big impression on me were the Atlanta child murders committed by Wayne Williams in the early 80s. I remember being very terrified. And that's odd because I was 100 miles away and his victims were all African-American boys, if I remember right. Regardless, I was so scared. 
and as a young kid, I was riveted to the nightly news following the progress, and I didn't rest easy until he was caught. My interest in true crime has definitely grown through my adulthood. So since I live in Pittsburgh, I thought I'd cover a local mystery. There's been several occurrences of young white men going off for a night of drinking, Aline end up missing for days and turning up dead in a body of water. When it happens once, it's a tragedy, but when it happens several times, you really begin to wonder, surely these all can't be accidents. I started doing some internet research and what I found was shocking. In many different areas of the country, Boston, Philadelphia, Mississippi, Pittsburgh, just to name a few, it's the same story. Young, popular, athletic men are going missing after a night out at a bar or party. They are then found dead in a river or a stream. The most prevalent theory is the smiley face killer. To understand this, let's go back to October 31st, 2002 in Minneapolis. Chris Jenkins, 21, gets kicked out of the Lone Tree Barn Grill around midnight. It's 20 degrees that night, and he's only wearing his Native American Halloween costume. He left his coat, keys, wallet, and phone behind at the bar. He goes missing. Four months later, his body is found in the Mississippi River, floating face up, with his arms folded across his chest, shirt tucked in. His death was ruled an accident. It was assumed he was on the bridge and fell over. However, surveillance video shows he was never on the bridge. A police dog followed a scent to a parking lot adjacent to the bar. And that's where police found droplets of blood and a feather presumed to be from the Halloween costume Chris was wearing. Dissatisfied with the investigation, the family got help of retired NYPD detective Nick Gannon. Gannon worked on a similar case. Patrick McNeil, 19, disappeared on February 17, 1997. He was found 50 days later in New York's East River, also floating face up. Apparently, this is rare in drowning cases. More on that in a minute. He had ligature marks on his neck and small black dots on his body. The medical examiner said it was decomposition, but Gannon felt that they were burn marks. Fly eggs found in his pubic hair suggested that the body spent time on land before it went into the water. There was absence of skin slippage, indicating the body might only have been in the water for 24 hours. In normal drowning cases, if the body had been in the water for more than 48 hours, wrinkling of skin will be present, and after a longer time, the skin will begin pimpling and pre-peeling. The fat deposits turn into a soapy-like substance and the skin loosens. A somewhat fetal position is how drowning bodies are normally found. Gases from putrefaction cause it to rise to the surface. If a diver finds a body before it ascends, and it isn't in the fetal position or its head is to one side, it means the person died on land and was put into the water post-rigor mortis. Remember, Chris Jenkins was found face up as well as Patrick McNeil. However, Patrick McNeil's death was ruled an accident. The Minneapolis case of Chris Jenkins was reopened in 2006 and investigated as a homicide case after new evidence emerged. I'll talk about this more in depth in a few minutes. Gannon was joined in his investigation by another retired NYPD detective, Anthony Duarte. Together, they traveled to Minneapolis to investigate. 
This is where the smiley face killer theory emerged. Gannon and Duarte found over 45 cases of college age, mostly white men who went missing and were found dead in bodies of water. This spanned over 11 Midwestern states, many along Interstate 94. So that's lots of college areas near big rivers. In fact, nine of the missing men attended the University of La Crosse in Wisconsin. The La Crosse Tribune reported eight missing college-age men drowned in area rivers between July 12, 1997 and September 30, 2006. Gannon and Duarte started working on the cases backward with GPS to figure out where the bodies might have entered the water. And that's when the smiley face graffiti symbols were found. They were found painted at several of the locations, such as Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, and Wisconsin. And according to the detectives, they found 22 smiley faces, most painted in white paint, some with three pointed crowns. The theory got even more attention in 2008 when reporter Christy Peel from KSTP in Minnesota aired her investigation into the deaths and featured Gannon and Duarte's theory. They surmised that these men were possibly being drugged, stalked, and maybe even tortured, and then slipped into the water to appear as a drowning. Duarte was quoted as saying, I think it's a serial killer, but no one individual. I would just say a group of individuals probably located in more than one state. The Peel investigation talked about the disappearance of Joss Sostak from Albany, New York. Gannon and Duarte think he was murdered. Josh disappeared after celebrating a friend's birthday at a bar. His death was concluded as accidental, but his family is adamant that that's not the case. We have a cumulative amount of evidence that Josh was probably drugged and murdered, Gannon said. I can't tell you where exactly, but it would warrant the smiley face if he knew anything about us. They also claim to have found 12 pieces of matching evidence but insists the FBI is not actively looking into any of it. Peel won an Emmy, but ultimately the story cost her job. Too many people dismissed the theory. Dallas Drake, co-founder of the Center for Homicide Research, said that there are unreasonable conclusions and that drunk people ending up in the water was very common. However, Gannon, a 20-year veteran of the NYPD, said he believes it's a serial killer or killers. He even wrote case studies in drowning forensics to back up his theory. In an interview, he said, People love conspiracy theories, you know that. But I don't deal in conspiracy theory. That's not an investigator. You have to deal in cold, hard forensic facts. Gannon and Duarte were joined by Lee Gilbertson, a St. Cloud Associate Professor of Criminal Justice and an expert in spatial analysis. He assigned his students to analyze the deaths. They found that 94% of the deaths occurred within 100 miles of Interstate 94. Even U.S. Congressman Michael McNulty from New York and Jim Sessenbrenner from Wisconsin formally submitted requests to the FBI to investigate deaths in their state. But the FBI doesn't agree that the deaths are connected or the work of several people. Gannon and Duarte eventually ran out of money and the investigation stalled. One of them even mortgaged his house for the investigation. The theory is still very prevalent on the internet, which is where I discovered it. So, since I live in Pittsburgh, I'd like to look more in depth at some of the local cases. 
Let's start with the most recent, Dakota James. Dakota was a 23-year-old grad student from Maryland. He'd been in Pittsburgh since 2015 to attend Duquesne University. He disappeared on January 25th. Here's a timeline of his night. He took the T downtown with a co-worker to Market Square. From there, he went to two bars on Liberty Avenue, Images and 941 Saloon. His co-worker leaves the 941 Saloon taking an Uber home. Dakota began walking. A manager at Images said he was refused service for being too intoxicated. He was given water and reportedly ate pizza off someone's plate. The manager stated that he was with a woman. This was most likely his co-worker. Surveillance video shows him walking alone at 1146 through Katz Plaza in the Cultural District downtown. After that, he vanishes. Cadaver dogs searching the North Shore shoreline picked up a scent near Roberto Clemente Bridge. Divers were sent, but they found nothing. The Greensburg Bloodhound Team and Allegheny Mountain Rescue were brought in for the search. A $10,000 reward was posted. Despite all these efforts, there were no leads. There was a lot of frustration with the investigation. Dakota's mother, Pamela Jeans, wrote on Facebook, I'm so angry over the press conference. She's referring to a press conference held by police and city officials discussing the timeline and leads in the case. So many inaccuracies, and yet Dakota's mayor, Bill, Bill Peduto, had failed him and didn't even show up for support. You stated that Dakota and co-worker did not go into images. Lie. We have proof by co-worker receipt that they were served drinks and was well after the 10.30 time frame at 941 Saloon. Mayor Peduto, however, stated that police followed every lead. We know all the facts about where he was that evening, who he was with that evening, the condition he was in that evening, where he was traveling that evening, and once he gets to that bridge, it all disappears. He goes on to say, there's been no evidence of an abduction or something to signify that somebody has him. I realize that the family's heart is broken. Dakota's family also called on the makers of the dating app Grinder to release more information to them. His mother believes that he was using Grinder the night he disappeared. Grinder could provide location data and any messages he received or sent. But according to Pamela James, Grinder did not provide all the information that we need. They gave minimal information that they required by the so-called law. Sadly, Dakota's body was found more than a month later. Debbie Dolmo was walking her dog near the Ohio River in Robinson Township when she spotted the body. In March, the Allegheny County Medical Examiner's Office stated that the cause of death was undetermined and will remain so pending toxicology. In May, the death was ruled as drowning, manner determined to be accidental. His family is disputing the ruling and has hired renowned forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht to investigate. He said if there is evidence of any kind, he intends to find it. I do believe that there has to be some kind of evidence of some kind of visual, physical, investigative, something to indicate how this young man got into the water, he said. I think if anyone can find answers for them, it will be Cyril Wecht. His family was devastated after his death. They had stayed in the Pittsburgh area since Dakota went missing, hoping to find him. They held a press conference thanking the city for their help and support. 
His mother wrote a heartbreaking tribute. As his mother, I will never be able to express in words well enough how much I loved him. From his sweet little baby hands to the wonderful man he was becoming. People who did not have the opportunity to meet him truly missed out. As a mother of a son myself, I can't imagine their heartbreak. To lose a child seems so unfair and to lose him and have all these unanswered questions concerning his death makes it even harder. Her words really struck me and my heart breaks for her and the whole family. The family has since established the Dakota James Foundation, hoping to make Pittsburgh a safer place by setting up cameras on bridges and cutting the red tape between jurisdictions to improve cooperation and response times of local authorities and assisting how the families of other missing persons, said his father, Jeff James. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Regardless of how Dakota died, this foundation will make Pittsburgh a safer place. It's just sad that it takes something this tragic. And the case made me think of another local disappearance that I remember very vividly. Paul Kochu, 22, went missing December 16, 2014. Like Dakota, he had moved to Pittsburgh to attend Duquesne University. After graduating, he got a job as an intensive care nurse at Allegheny General Hospital. His co-workers said he was friendly and very reliable. Paul went to watch a college football game with his roommates at Smokin' Joe's Saloon on East Carson Street on the south side. According to them, he'd had quite a bit to drink and left for home around midnight. He called his roommates from home saying he'd cut himself on some glass, so they went home to help. They found him injured and, quote, very emotional. 
Around 2 a.m., the roommates left to get some food, and Paul stayed behind. When the roommates returned, Paul was gone. His keys, wallet, and cell phone were gone, but he'd left behind his car. A 42-second surveillance video shows Paul walking at 2.45 a.m. on the 1900 block of Wharton Street. His hand is visibly wrapped in a towel, and according to his mother, his gait was off. After that, he disappears. Three months later, his body was found about 60 miles away in Wheeling, West Virginia, in the Ohio River. This is very close to my hometown. I followed the case closely. Coincidentally, I recalled his body being discovered at the same time as Andre Gray, but Gray's death was proven to be unrelated and a homicide. He had went missing from his Lawrenceville home on October 25, 2014. His home was found ransacked and bloody. 30-year-old Hubert Wingate was arrested very soon after and charged with his murder. The cause of death in Paul's case was drowning, but just like Dakota James' case, the family has a lot of unanswered questions. His father, Jack Kochu, told a reporter that the information they'd been given is inaccurate, so much so that the family had started a GoFundMe page. The money raised will pay for the hiring of a local forensic pathologist to do an independent autopsy. It will also pay to run blood and fiber tests on Paul's clothing. The family is consulting a private detective who has experience in cases similar to Paul's. All of this is expensive, so please go visit the page and donate if you can. So far, it's raised over $5,000, which I'm sure is only a drop in the bucket for these expenses. One of the contributors is Dakota James' mother, Pamela. She wrote, keep searching for answers. Once again, a devastated family is forced to search for answers on their own. On the page, the family mentions that the request through an attorney to the authorities of the city of Pittsburgh have all been shot down. On a side note, I've noticed a lot of web forms people are particularly angry at Paul's roommates. Why did they leave him if he was hurt or upset? But I think you have to remember that these are all young, drunk guys. So they probably weren't thinking very clearly, and I'm sure they have regrets about Paul's disappearance. His one roommate, Alex Hess, said the cut on his hand was a minor laceration, nothing major. I'm sure they thought they would go get some food and it would all smooth itself out. I don't think they expected Paul to be gone. And I personally think Paul might have left on foot because he'd been drinking. The south side is a very busy area with a ton of pedestrians and small street spaces. If you're impaired, you wouldn't want to be driving those streets. He might have gone on foot to get some proper treatment for his hand. In researching these two cases, I came upon two other local cases with eerie similarities. North Huntington Township resident Jacob Lip, 27, went missing on December 16, 2012, oddly the same day of the year Paul Kochu would go missing two years later. He went out with his girlfriend to the Static Bar on Smallman Street in the Strip District near downtown. They got into a fight and she left in his car, leaving Jacob in the parking lot. Jacob was last seen near McDonald's on Penn Avenue, two blocks where his girlfriend had left him. When his girlfriend drove back around to find him, he was gone. His body was found two years later on December 12, 2014 on a river bank in Beaver Falls. I could not find a definitive cause of death in his case. James Slack, 25, went missing on December 6, 2011. 
He was last seen at a string cheese incident concert at Stage AE on the North Shore. He was drinking with a friend, but they became separated. She last heard from him around 3 a.m. He called and told her he was still partying, but didn't know where he was. He said he would just walk home. His body was found on January 23rd on the shore of the Allegheny River near the Carnegie Science Center. His death was ruled an accidental drowning, manner of death unknown. The autopsy found no drugs or alcohol in his system, but due to the time being in the water, the results wouldn't be detective. There is a Facebook page devoted to him called Help Find Jimmy Slack. So now let's talk about theories. One theory suggested that these killers were ex-military taking revenge against college guys because they were serving their country while these guys were going to school. That one sounds a little far-fetched to me. Another theory paints points to a word painted in graffiti near one of the scenes, Cincinnawa. It apparently means rattlesnake mound or some say grave in Chippewa. There is a mound in Wisconsin that is a site of a violent battle during the Black Hawk Indian War. Many consider it a sacred site, especially an occultist and Satanist. Supposedly, bloodhounds traced a scent of missing Matt Krusinski, 24, to Cincinnati Street in Dubuque, Iowa. Gannon told KTSP, We believe they were specifically leaving a clue for us or anyone who was paying attention to these drownings that the cases were ultimately linked. So is this a clue or a calling card? Could the deaths of these white males be seen as a sacrifice? The Zodiac Killer believed every person he killed would become his slave in the afterlife, as one blogger noted. Maybe someone is thinking along these same lines. So let's go back to the case of Chris Jenkins being reopened as a murder. An informant gave police info that a man named Jeremy Alford bragged about killing Jenkins. Alford was in prison serving a life sentence for killing Douglas Miller in Minnesota and dumping him into the Iowa River. Alford is from Iowa near Cedar Rapids and has a criminal history. In 2005, he was arrested for harboring runaways that he branded with a razor to create a five-point star. Many of the smiley faces found at the sites had crowns with five points. This is apparently a gang sign. When police questioned Alford, he tried to rat on two other members of his gang, Roach and Smiley. They were all members of a gang that called themselves the Dealers of Death and claimed to have killed 300 or claimed to have 300 members. Roach said Alford was the leader of the Dealers of Death. He told them he'd killed a college student in an Indian costume. I killed this stupid looking dude and I threw him over a bridge. To me that sounds like he's referring to Chris Jenkins. The gang has claimed to have murdered 40 people. Could this be the 40 some cases that Gannon and Duarte are referring to? As far as I could find out, most people don't take this gang seriously and think they're full of hot air including Alfred's own sister. But there are some that think it's become a secret organization with members ranging from police officers to members of the intelligence community following Masonic order traditions. If I had to propose a theory, I'd say it's the work of maybe one or more men. I think that this type of guy, young, athletic, well-liked, is the opposite of what they are. They could also be closeted about their sexuality and that this type of guy they were always attracted to since 
high school or college. Abducting and killing them could be a way of taking control of that feeling, much like Ted Bundy and his killing of girls with long hair parted down the middle that reminded him of the girl who broke his heart. The similarities in some of the cases are striking. Think of the Pittsburgh cases. James Slack, Jacob Lip, and Paul Kochu all disappeared in the month of December. A lot of the men have gone missing at the beginning of the month, and some have observed that the disappearances occur in clusters. Bradley Verrett, 26, and Shane Montgomery, 21, were both found in the Schuylkill River. Bradley disappeared from Trooper Thorne's restaurant and bar in Southwest Reading, PA, in February of this year. Security footage shows Bradley walking past his car and heading in the direction of the Skullkill River. He was not the type of person to just take off, according to his friends and family. His body was discovered near Brentwood Industries, which is close to Trooper Thorns. Volunteers had been vigorously searching the river since his disappearance. This was a fact that I found odd in a lot of the cases. These areas were searched previously and nothing found. Then the men will be found right where people had been searching. Shane Montgomery disappeared after leaving Kildare's Irish Pub and Manayunk, PA, right before Thanksgiving in 2014. Once again, two disappearances during winter months and this time found in the same river. It's odd. Night a time of year when people are typically wanting to be near water. Shane left the pub around 1.50 a.m. around last call. He'd stumbled into a DJ's table, but a $17 tab of craft beer showed he wouldn't have been excessively drunk. The owner said he was polite and didn't seem drunk. Video surveillance shows him walking across a footbridge over the Manayunk Canal to a parking lot, but he was not seen returning. His body was found by the Garden State Underwater Recovery Unit behind Manayunk Brewing Company near Main Street and Shores Lane. I typed these locations into Google Maps, and it's only a nine-minute walk, less than a mile. An hour after he disappeared, a ping from his phone showed he was near a CVS on Main Street. How does someone go missing and die in this short distance? You can quickly go down a rabbit hole looking into these cases. On vansholmes.com, I read a great article that lists many different cases. It goes on and on. These cases span many different cities. Boston, Philadelphia, Columbus, just to name a few. In fact, Columbus has one of the most baffling cases. Brian Schaefer, 27, disappeared into thin air one night. He was out bar hopping with a friend. They hit several bars in the short north district before ending up at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, around 1.15 a.m. Brian was last seen on surveillance video around 2 a.m. His friends saw him talking to a couple of females. His friend ended up leaving without him at closing time after not being able to locate him. All this is very strange since there is only one publicly accessible entrance to the bar where Brian was. Every single patron who entered the bar is seen leaving on surveillance video except Brian. His body has never been found. The only clue that has surfaced was a ping from his phone six months after he disappeared, and sadly it didn't turn up any leads. If you look up his name on the internet, you'll find a slew of mentions and vanished into thin air type cases, and it's truly baffling. The only difference in this case is that his body wasn't found in water. However, he fits the profile to a T.
young, successful, popular guy out at a bar who vanished. To connect all these cases, one private investigator, Mike Flaherty, compiled a map of all the disappearances in every state. When he connected the dots on a map, it gives the appearance of a mouth with fangs. He points to a case in Ames, Iowa, where graffiti was found that matches this picture. Beside the smiley face was written, Evil Happy Smiley Face Man. It's very creepy and there are just too many coincidences for me to just brush these off as accidental drownings. When I first heard of Paul Kochu's case, I thought maybe foul play. But like many, I assumed that a young guy who'd been out drinking lost his way and somehow perished in the water. But when I heard about Dakota James, I started to doubt that these could be mishaps. In Boston alone, there had been 11 cases that fit the profile. One, Jonathan Daly, was found tied to a cinder block. Could this be a theory into why the bodies aren't found until months after they disappear? After looking into similar cases, I'm really leaning towards Gannon Duarte's theory. There are a lot of creeps out there with grudges, so it's very plausible what they're suggesting. And at any given time, statistics show that there are at least 30 active serial killers in the United States. But I can also accept the fact that some of these cases could be nothing more than unfortunate accidents. I have a difficult time accepting that a guy would be near any body of water in the wintertime, though. So in a lot of these cases, drowning seems very unlikely. Plus, these young guys were talked about as very dependable and not likely to just up and take off. So I've been drunk quite a few times in my life. Once I even had to close one eye to see properly, I was so drunk, but I've never ever wanted to go near a body of water in freezing temperatures. So theories that these are accidents seem kind of ridiculous to me. It's frustrating, I'm sure, for police and families of the missing. Families feel the deaths are being brushed off as accidents, and police don't want to seriously look at the theory of a serial killer for fear it will detract from their investigations. Why men and not women? It's different for men and women. Women know how to stick together when out drinking because it's very easy to get taken advantage of. We do get taken advantage of. You hear about date rape cases, but nothing that follows a pattern like these cases. Men, however, are more independent. They feel they can look after themselves, so whether these deaths are accidental or something more nefarious, guys need to watch out for themselves. Something is happening. Hopefully, we won't hear of any more cases that fit these profiles here in Pittsburgh or anywhere else. Stay safe, guys. This was my first podcast. I hope to do many more. There are a ton of stories I'd like to look into for future episodes. Thanks for listening.